The IRS has issued new tax guidance for 2019, and what does it mean to you? What regulatory challenges exist for crypto companies heading into 2020, and will smart cities lead to a smarter government? These and many more questions will be answered today by someone far more knowledgeable than us. Maureen Murat Esquire is a principal at Crowdy Advisors, LLC. She knows things that we don't know and maybe things that you don't know, but by the end of the show, you'll know, you know? So come on down the rabbit hole with us. We'll have some rabbit food and talk crypto for episode number 335 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Bouncing off of satellites throughout the atmosphere and somehow landing right here in your ears. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast with your hosts, Joel Com, And uh, this is Travis Wright broadcasting to you from space. Wow. So you said kind of right. It's like we're like, well, we kind of are. I mean, this technology or underground, right? Because fiber cable you know runs underground so we could True. be we could be mole people mm, mm. well the the intelligent life forms that live underground i'm joel the mole that's perfect oh my yeah. gosh and i'm still travish you're travis the bavish it's nothing there's nothing there's no animal rhymes with travis but i am a taurus and that's a bull and speaking of bulls etoro is our show sponsor and the best way to be smart about trading crypto is to use the smartest trading platform duh that's why we love to tell you about etoro they are one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over one trillion dollars in trading volume on the platform every year u.s customers can trade the most popular cryptos there's 15 of them currently very low fees and if you're not ready to trade yet, well, guess what? You can just practice because they have a practice portfolio, a virtual trading platform where you can trade up to 100,000 fake fiat dollars and buy fake crypto. This does not real, but it's fun. And so also there's 11 million traders out there. You can communicate with them. You can also discuss trading charts, all things crypto and the best traders. You can actually copy their portfolio and we have a deal for you, folks. Listen to this, Mr. Joel Com. What do they get if they sign up through this link? Kick in the pants. You get one kick in the pants. You go to badco.in forward slash eToro, and we'll give you $25 worth of a kick in the pants. <laughs> $25 in Bitcoin. Go follow the instructions at badco.in forward slash eToro. Find out. By the way, their fees are so low and transparent that they won't hurt your fee fees. Mm. Also want to give recognition to MobiPay, our other sponsor. You know, money has existed for thousands of years. We've talked on this show how once upon a time people traded with cowrie shells and then precious metals and then minted coins and then paper money, which is basically worthless fiat. But let's face it, transferring money today is slow and expensive. If you're a merchant, if you're a consumer, especially if you want to transfer your funds across borders. And so payments are going 
Mobile. This is why the Mobi Pay ecosystem is the way to go, gang, whether you have a bank account or not. You can send money and digital currency worldwide from your mobile phone in seconds. You guys got to go check this out. They're giving away right now for those participating in the beta $10 worth of Mobi coins, the MBX token. Go to MobiPay.io. Check it out today. M-O-B-I-E pay, P-A-Y dot I-O. We recently had Samson Williams, a professor um, at the University of New Hampshire on the show with us. And the interview was so great that when we were done, we said, Samson, you must have a lot of smart friends. And he said, well, I have a few. And we said, we want to talk to people that you think are smart because we want to learn from them as well. And wouldn't you know it, one of the people that he recommended to us is with us right now. Her name is Maureen Murat. She's an attorney and a principal at Crowdy Advisors, LLC. They're a business consulting firm that helps local and foreign entrepreneurs and small businesses form entities, transact business, and get financing and, and all that good stuff. And she teaches alongside Samson as an adjunct professor at the University of New Hampshire School of Law. And she knows blockchain things. So Maureen, welcome to Bet Crypto. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Right. Yeah. How long have you known Samson? Oh, wow. Um, I'm probably the, he probably knows better than me. I think it's probably going on 12 years or 13 years. I met him at a baby shower, actually, oh, wow. in Florida. Huh. Was he the baby? No. no. <laughs> he was a. Uh... Yeah. Actually, we asked him, we said, we said, who's the smartest person you know? And uh, he, he oh. said you. And I said, well, wait, wait, you know us. Wait, you know us. She said, nope, Maureen. So we had to, we had to show Oh, wow. Well, I'll take the compliment. <laughs> the smartest ever. This is great. So you've known, you've known this dude. You've known him way, way before the crypto world then. So that's, that's like OG. That's awesome. So how did, so, so how did you guys both get into the crypto world? Did one of you let the other one in on it or what happened? Um, well, he got into it. I think he'd heard about it before I did, you know, he had mentioned it, but it didn't really, you know, stick with me. Um, what really actually got me interested was, um, when I started my business trying to help people raise money via equity crowdfunding. And I started hearing people as I was going along, trying to find business, right. People saying, well, why would I do, uh, you know, reg CF and have to do all that documentation when I could just do an ICO. And I was like, wait, what's that? <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into <laughs> it. <laughs> and now that you're in it, like once you go down the blockchain rabbit hole, that's it. There's no turning back, right? You never look at the the systems, the financial systems, the political systems, uh, it, it, the banking systems, any of it ever the same way again. I agree. Even when I don't, you know, because there, there's a time where like there's just so much news that kind of, it's overwhelming. And so even when I take a break and come back, yeah, even in the break, I still, I can't help but see things differently. So you're right. There's no going back. It's like the matrix, right? Once you, you see, then you can't unsee. Right. <laughs> and you learn so much more like every day I'm learning something different. So yeah. Wait, does that mean that we're the human batteries, Mr. Jokon? Cause that was like a really weird thing in matrix, you know, That's like weird. they popped in there and they were like humans were like tapped in and they were the batteries. Uh, like well, I, I feel we're more like the ever ready bunny batteries because we just keep going and going and going. <laughs> That's and going true. And going and going. 
Okay, so I did much, not know so where that was going, but okay. <laughs> that was weird. It's just a weird Matrix joke. So, so is this this is a this is a wild world that we're in, and now you are an adjunct professor there at the University of New Hampshire School of Law, same as Samson. You mentioned you guys co-teach uh, a couple of courses. What what are some of those courses that you teach, and maybe what are what are some of the areas that your your students find most fascinating? Um, sure. So Samson and I co-teach tokenomics and cryptocurrency regulations. And then the second course is smart cities, smart government. In our tokenomics class, I think people are more, I guess, more uh fascinated by how these tokens kind of can almost represent anything. Um, but we try to, you know, impress upon them that it's not just about selling tokens or creating tokens. We also try to talk about creating value um, outside of, let's say, the cost, because oftentimes people confuse cost and value. So we try to talk about, you know, what that is separately and, and together. Um, in smart cities, I think one of the main issues is how governments are really not prepared to really <laughs> to manage a smart city. And so how a lot of them will be using third parties to help them capture all the data they would need to facilitate a smart city. And so that presents a whole another set of issues in terms of privacy and cybersecurity issues. Is anybody getting those smart cities right yet? Not that, well, I won't say that. I know that um, um, Dubai, right, they have their initiative, their uh, Dubai 2020 initiative. I think um, they're, you know, one of the closest ones to getting it right, but they also have some advantages. They're a lot smaller. Um, they don't have a lot of legacy systems that they have to overcome. In terms of political issues, it's kind of like, the print says it and it is done, you know? So I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why they've been able to kind of move along a lot quicker. I try to do that too. Like Joel does too. Like we try to act like we're princes and make things happen. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, when, the shake, <laughs> when the shake says do it, it it's it. That's right. it. You know, it comes from the, the top <laughs> down and, and uh, you know, you better, you better go ahead and do it. Uh, yeah. You know, I visited Dubai last year for the first time or this year, actually for the first time and was amazed to see how much has sprung up there in the desert. You know, when we go to Las Vegas, mm -hmm. which is in the middle desert, we look at that and think, wow, look what, you know, metropolitan area has wrought here in the middle of nowhere. But Dubai, even more so, I, it's, it's, it's even more impressive. And um, I know that they are in the Emirates, you know, amongst the most um, – experimental shall we say in terms of bringing the west to the middle east right um literally i mean think there's marble everywhere there's gold everywhere yes you're right hmm. so in the the list of things that you know you speak on and uh, are interested in one of them that really catches my eye are your thoughts on smart contracts you know we uh we talk about them frequently uh, less so now that there's your ICOs that are, you know, we're seeing spring up on um, the Ethereum blockchain. But what are your thoughts on smart contracts? Um, so my saying is that uh, smart contracts are neither smart nor are they contracts. Um, and you mentioned earlier that I am an attorney. So when I think of a contract, I do not think of, you know, programmable code that transfers, you know, digital currencies or whatever the 
the condition might be. Um, and and I think what happened when the, the term kind of came about was that people just assumed that if you had a smart contract, then it worked because there were a lot of issues there. Right. And that, you know, it automatically satisfies all transaction requirements and that it's legally binding, which is the main issue when you say when you add the word contracts to anything. Um, so my thoughts are that essentially smart contracts are the opposite of smart because they all they have to do is just meet this very simple condition and then you go on to the next one. It doesn't really capture any other issues that might happen when there is a an actual contract. Granted, I know that there are projects around trying to find ways to make smart contracts um, as legally sound as possible and potentially legally binding. But at this point, I don't think I don't think we're there yet. What would you think would be a better term to describe what's taking place there? So one of my um, colleagues calls it a self-executory um, instrument, which to me makes oh, but sense. that's not as sexy. It's not that's sexy, it. right? <laughs> um, I, I got me a self-executory instrument right here. I. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's not sexy. I don't know. And I I haven't thought of a word to call it other than, you know, maybe just a a condition or, um, yeah, I I have to think about what would be a sexy way to say it. Because that's basically all it is. It's programmable, uh, you know, little little pieces of information that trigger based on certain parameters, right? So maybe let's call it triggered. Get triggered contracts. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Everybody, it could be applied to something oh no, else. we just got triggered. <laughs> that's good. You know, so programmable money, that's, you know, it, those. but the smart contracts, the idea of having those self-executionary programmable little snippets of code are, are, are quite helpful. So but maybe what do you mean that they're not contracts? They're just sort of just stipulations based on programs. And so it's not a contract based on like law. Is that kind of how you're coming from that since you're an attorney? Right. Um, right. Because if you're thinking about a contract, not, I'll try not to be too lawyerly. Um, when you have a contract, first you need an assent of the minds. And I think you can make an argument that smart contracts, there is some assent of the minds because people enter into the agreement knowing that if this particular thing happens, then this has to follow. Um, but then you also need consideration and a bargain for exchange. And so generally speaking, a bargain for exchange is that there, and you could even make that argument, right? That you could, you could bargain what in fact you would exchange in it in exchange. I know I said that twice <laughs> for whatever the condition is. But the issue with the smart contracts that I mainly have is that they don't leave room for if there's an issue that happens that the contract doesn't cover, right? Then what happens? It doesn't leave room for what is considered good faith. It doesn't leave room for if the data that is being transferred across this, you know, smart contract is, you know, either um, insufficient or just bad data. There's no, what's the recourse for that? And those are certain things you would have if you had an actual, you know, standard contract. So, you know, in 2017, early 2018, we saw these ICOs and then people got scared that, you know, no, these might be securities and U.S. law, you know, might come down on us. So then we see STOs and we see IEOs. And now we've been hearing about um, another way to 
crowdfund as an ICO, but using convertible notes. What what does that look like and how is it different and, and, and how might that get past these, you know, past the security laws? Well, so first, um, a convertible note is not anything novel. Um, companies, especially VCs, have been using this for a long time to invest in businesses. So essentially, a convertible note is um, it's debt. It's short-term debt that at some point in the future can be turned into equity in the company. And so that's one way to raise money. You essentially, it starts out as debt. So let's say the VC says, I'll give you $100,000 at this rate for your business. And then let's say within two or three years, your business gets acquired or it makes a lot of money and they, they can convert that debt instead of you paying them back, they convert that debt into equity, but they get it at a discount. But that would never be a problem. I mean, if, if they're looking at ways, you know, because you're offering equity in the company, right? With ICOs, STOs, IEOs, you're talking about offering tokens, which is not equity. Right. So I'm not sure. I haven't heard about this new way of doing an ICO. That's a convertible note, but and you don't give equity. I'm not sure how that works unless you're trying to use the SAFT. I don't know if you remember that. That was from 2017, the simple agreement for future tokens, which is, by, which by the way, is not a thing. This is my PSA. It is not a thing. Um, uh, and um, so unless you're saying that, that they're, you know, going to purchase these tokens and at some point they actually get the tokens. Wait, rewind. Why is the SAFT not a thing? Well, one, um, they the SAFT was created as, I guess, a tag-along to the SAFE, which came out of the Y Combinator incubator, um, the Simple Agreement for Future Equity, which is something they created. But um, in the SEC world, there is no um, provision that covers you being able to have these future tokens be given to you in the future without having to deal with securities laws even for equity you have to deal with securities we just laws made it up. so well, we well there are a lot of acronym. things that have been made up <laughs> yeah yeah i was actually gonna wrap well, you know there were a lot of that That's true. no i was gonna ask about that because like the genesis of this was you know the jobs act of 2012 which was the what was it acronym jumpstart our business startups act or the jobs act signed into law by obama in 2012 now that was that really sort of allowed for crowdfunding to start happening more on on an equity type of level. I think we started seeing more Kickstarters happening. We started seeing some other things happen. And one of my whole things was is like, wow, this company just raised four million dollars in paying for products in advance, and they've given no equity of their company up. And then that sort of evolved into an ICO type of a thing where they became tokens instead of you know, buying a product in advance, you know, so where maybe is that crowdfunding model moving towards in the future, do you think? Because SAF's not a thing, ICOs are going away, IEOs might be something, STOs, eh. but crowdfunding is not going away, right? We're in this sort of crowdsourced world now. How is that going to come into investments and growing of businesses, not maybe not necessarily just blockchain related, but all businesses? 
Right. And I mean, if you ask me, I think um, ICOs are like crowdfunding, right? Because essentially you're getting small amounts of money from a large group of people to fund a cause, a project or something. But in terms of how where crowdfunding will go um, right now with the Jobs Act under Reg CF Title three of the Jobs Act, you can either raise money via equity crowdfunding or you can raise money via debt crowdfunding. And with debt, you can use a convertible note or you can do a revenue sharing model or you can do a straight up loan um, where the, the, the business pays you back, pays the group of people back. Um, but I think to your point that I, because we're in this crowdsource world and you know a lot of the projects, especially in the blockchain world, um, create community or require a community, I could see crowdfunding being something that will continue to be um, used as a means to raise funds. I think initially, because of the timing of it all, um, technically, yes, Obama um, passed that law in 2012, but crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding didn't actually become enacted. That part of the act didn't become enacted until May 2016. And on the heels of it was ICOs and SCOs and all that. So I think it lost some of its steam, you know, to the ICO world. Um, but I think now that we're coming back around and realizing that essentially a lot of these are actually issuing and offering of securities, that crowdfunding will become a thing. It's kind of like how you were saying earlier, trying to find another word for smart contracts. It just wasn't sexy. I think, you know, regulation crowdfunding just wasn't sexy. So, Maureen, do you see this uh, coming back around? I mean, you said it's going to come back around, but do you see it being another explosive time for whatever we then call these ICOs where all of a sudden there's going to be a path for these businesses to do this crowdfunding and they're just going to come out of the woodwork? I think so. I think one of the issues that we had before is that people felt like they needed, in order for them to be able to raise the money, they had to skirt laws or get around things and just, you know, and not have to go through the SEC or any other regulatory body. But I think um, given that the SEC has made it very clear that they are paying attention, um, that uh, people will, you know, realize that there's nothing you know, going through the SEC or going by a specific set of rules doesn't diminish what it is that you're trying to do. So I do think that the next wave of funding um, will go will be crowdfunding. When? When do you think that we'll have that pathway to do that? Um, I think it's happening. I'm trying to help the movement, if you will. Um, I think in the next, I would give it three to five years because I think we're still waning off of ICO stuff. So I think in the next three to five years, mm. VCs will definitely have to pay attention to crowdfunding, yeah. equity crowdfunding campaigns. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you were saying earlier um, about Kickstarter and how they don't necessarily have to give anything up front when they take in um, funds, that's because they're rewards-based. And so they do have to give something within a reasonable time. Um, generally, it's not even the product that they're selling. Sometimes it's a t-shirt or a mug or something, some incentive. But that also means the person who gives the money doesn't expect anything more than whatever it is you said you're going to give them. Mm -hmm. They don't expect if your business you know, booms and you get acquired and you make all this money, they don't expect you to give them any money for supporting you in the beginning. Yeah, that's why it was so wild is that with this huge ICO, you know, just the craze that happened, like 
even for like Ethereum, for example, you know, the SEC's come out and said Ethereum is not a security, but if you invested in, in you know, Ethereum early on, like it got, and depending on when you sold it, it got like 30, 40,000 times return on that. I mean, just ridiculous numbers. And like normal business, you don't see that. Like even if you're like a normal VC or an angel investor and you invest a million dollars and then it turns into a billion dollar company. I mean, you've made you've made a pretty good return, but you've not gotten 40,000 times your return on investment, which is some of those ICOs were just completely crazy. And the thing is, is you own none of the company. You own these tokens that is like based on future revenue. But in some of the ways, you know, it was just, that whole thing was the wild, wild west in 2017. And that's when we started our show. So we were starting to pick up speed and all this crazy whirlwind was happening. And we're not experts in this space. We're trying to help people navigate this. And here we are in the wild, wild west of this, you know, digital crowdfunding with no equity, token based. It was just, wow, like what is going on here? It was just one of the most crazy times ever when it comes to potentially investing stuff in those 2016 to 2018 what <laughs> no i hear you um but there is a project i don't know if you've heard of popcom um actually samson put me onto that i don't know if he mentioned in the last um when you spoke to him um but they were able to combine an sto with their reg cf crowdfunding so that people would get the tokens but they do actually get equity in the business see that's the that's the hybrid what, what was it called top pop? right what was it top what pop Popcom. Popcom. P O P. Yeah. That's what we call Joel. Like his last name's Com. So maybe well, that's what his kids call him. They call you Pop. Yeah. Your Popcom, Papa. Okay. We call <laughs> that him. That works. We love the way you call us Little Papa, Joel. Little Papa. Okay, that's not true at all, but I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. So you're you co-authored um, the book with Samson, right? On uh, on crowdfunding. Yes, we have a workbook. Um, it's called. Uh, raising money, the 90 day guide, um, to help you kind of navigate from the start of your crowdfunding campaign to the end. Um, but we don't only talk about raising money. We also talk about the fact that you're, you're supposed to be running a business. Crowdfunding is not your business. Crowdfunding is just a means to get your business mm -hmm, going. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. And we also do a masterclass, um, and next year we're trying to do once a quarter, um, in different areas because we've been asked to like travel this year. We just did it between New York and DC. Um, but so far it's been, we're trying to get the word out essentially. Well, that's great. And you're up in New Hampshire. So you wouldn't, you know, necessarily when you think of blockchain hubs in America, New Hampshire is not one that normally pop rolls off the top. I mean, you know, we hear Wyoming, there's stuff that they're trying to do There's some other States that are doing some stuff. So what's what's really going on up there in New Hampshire? Because, you know, with both of you all up there, and then I know also that we got George Pullen from the CFTC. Uh, Samson's pulled him in to do some some uh, some you know training and teaching up there. What is going on at the University of, of New Hampshire when it comes around blockchain? Because it sounds like a little hotbed you got going up there. Well, we are actually not based in New Hampshire. We are, um, I'm based in D.C., okay. Samson's based in D.C., and so is um, George, actually. George is based um, in this area. And we, um, our courses are all online. So we pre-record our lectures, and then um, we mm. sometimes tag team or we separate, you know, we do videos separately. Um, but 
what I what is going on up there is that the um, director of the blockchain program or the certificate program, um, Dean Tanya Evans, um, realized that you know one way to get um, the to I guess to subside some of the misinformation that was happening in 2016, 2017, 2018, is to kind of bring it under the academic umbrella. Um, and so she created, she and Samson worked together and they created this um, program, the blockchain cryptocurrency and the law certificate program mm. at the law school. And so people can take it from all over. We've had people in our class who live in um, Barbados. We've had people in our class who live in New Hampshire. We have people in our class who are in the South. So what's kind of cool about it is it's, it's you know, decentralized in a way. Everybody oh, can great. kind of access it from wherever they are. Kind of like a University of Phoenix thing, right? Um, I don't yeah. know about University of Phoenix. Is it mainly online? I think it is. Is it still yeah, open? It's, it's... I oh, is it? Okay. I think so. Oh, okay. I don't know. Travis, it has nothing to do with New Hampshire, dude. The, the, whole, the whole setup there was yeah screw nothing. new hampshire forget you guys if they're ever doing nothing <laughs> no i do have their community there <laughs> that's okay so in in your book you talk about different ways that um you know businesses can crowdfund uh maybe kind of just bullet point for us some of those you know options that businesses have if they need to raise money in the blockchain space sure so there are four um and a half i'll say different ways to um, raise money via crowdfunding just crowdfunding generally so you can do donation based which is people are just essentially donating um you, they don't expect anything back most times though those donations are for you know charitable causes and things like that so people go to gofundme or um, or a site like that to to um, crowdfund um another crowd another way to crowdfund is rewards based and we talked about that earlier so that's essentially people giving money but they're expecting some sort of a you know a gadget or widget in return, um, potentially something that you will actually create, or it could be something kind of like a perk just for just for supporting that particular project or, or item. So that's like Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Kickstarter, sorry, Kickstarter. Um, and then the next ones. Um, that, that's the next site. It's going to be Kickstarter, <laughs> but, but, they, but it's not smart, and you don't get kicked. So it's like that. Too. It's like a smart contract. It's neither neither smart nor you, you're not going to get kicked either. That was horrible. You didn't like that? No, not even a minor <laughs> chuckle on that one. Damn. I was trying. It was coming. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, so the other uh, type of crowdfunding is um, debt and equity crowdfunding, which is what Samson and I mainly mm. present on. So with equity crowdfunding, you're you're taking on investors. You are notifying the SEC that you're going to raise money from these investors. You go through a platform. The platform is registered with the SEC and is FINRA approved. Um, so FINRA is the Financial Regulatory Authority and they give you a license to operate as a funding portal. Um, and so people go on and the platform essentially takes on applications from issuers or the companies and they take on applications from the actual investors because they got to make sure the investors are who they say they are, et cetera. Um, and then there's debt crowdfunding, which is very similar to equity. But instead of giving equity, you are you are essentially borrowing money from a group of people and you get payments made to you. If you are the investor, you, you're getting payments from that person um, and they, you know, they set, they split up the payment proportional to how much you put in to help that person raise their funds. 
that they were going to borrow. Um, and then the point, the half, the half <laughs> is um, royalties. So royalty based. So these are um, um, people who are artists or, you know, musicians, et cetera. And so they, um, instead of going through a traditional production company or something like that, they would put their music onto a website. And as they sell, because you helped them, you know, help them produce their, their, their music as they sell whatever royalties they get, they share with their supporters. Well, there's one more way that you don't mention. It's not the recommended method, okay. but you could rob, you could rob a bank. And, okay. You know, that's fine. It I, is that, not recommended. That's four, yeah, four not point seven. Not at all. Five. Yeah, probably not, not, probably not good. I want to ask about the evolution of this now, right? Because you, you said you and Samson talk about equity and, and crypto and how that's sort of combined. Now, in the future, do you sort because this we've had these conversations, Joel and I have chatted with other guests in the past about this is like the, the merger of stocks and tokens, right? And equity and tokens. Mm -hmm. And like I imagine like having an Apple coin at some point or something that's like equity in the company, but then I can also use it and to spend in some manner. Is this is this happening? Is this the next evolution of what we're seeing right now with with uh, with some of these methods of crowdfunding you're talking about? Um, I think that was probably already happening, um, which is one of the issues that I think um, that the SEC kind of highlighted. The fact that um, people were saying what they were issuing were not securities, because at some point you would be actually you would be able to actually use that token or that coin in that ecosystem mm -hmm. that they would eventually build. Um, and so I think nowadays, though, there are two ways to do it. You can either do it this way, as you mentioned. So I'm going to invest. I'm going to get these tokens and these tokens in some form or fashion represent the equity that I have in your company. But at some point I should, you know, I'll be able to use those tokens in your uh, business or in your ecosystem, or it's, it's two, it's two, two separate tokens, if you will. One token actually represents equity. And so you could transfer that token, mm -hmm. but that token means that you're selling your equity yeah. um, after a certain time, because um, there are rules around when you can transfer your equity in a business. There's a 12 month lockup period, or it could mean that you hold on to it, you know, and wait for it to, you know, 100x, 10x, whatever, and then exchange it. Um, or when you get, let's say your business blows up and you get acquired by someone, then you can trade in your tokens in exchange for your payout. But I think over time, people are going to realize that, oh, I'll say this, I think that if you are going to offer a token that could potentially be used in your ecosystem at some point, if you're looking for investors, you're, I don't think a selling point to investors is that you might be, you might be able to use this token in my ecosystem at some point or another. I think the way to, to, to really attract investors is to talk about what your business will actually do. How do you expect to make money? How do you expect to scale or grow? Do you expect to be a hundred million dollar business or do you want to be a lifestyle business? So that means you're making less than $20 million, but you're, you're, you're comfortable, you're doing well. So I think those things should be more important than, you know, what those tokens will be yeah, yeah. At some point. Well, let me throw a hypothetical yeah. at you then, right? Because what we've said in the past okay. is like, for example, Apple, right? Let's uh -huh. say it's let's yeah. say it's 2001 Apple. I can go and buy an iPod for 300 bucks. I can go and buy one of their MacBooks for or their Macs for 2000 bucks and their stock's $11 a share, right? And let's say right. like let's say you're able to by buying our product, 
you also get some sort of tokenized asset from us because you're supporting us and our growth, right? Then let's say, so you get, you buy the Mac for three grand and you also get 20 Apple tokens or whatever, right? And so over time, as the company as Apple has grown and now it's worth so much, it was worth 11, $12 then, then it did a seven split. And then it, when it got to whatever, and now it's worth 150 bucks or more each. And it's, so your, your 10 turned into 70 and now your 70 is worth 150 bucks each. It's worth way more than the MacBook that you bought, but that's not how the system is set up. The system is set up as, Hey, buy our junk. And investors are going to invest. Investors are going to get rich. But people who support us are going to stay perpetually poor because they're always buying shit they don't need necessarily. Is there a way to have a hybrid? That way it's almost like capitalism meets consumerism in a way that it's rewarded, right? Like I'm, I'm rewarded for supporting you as you become a trillion-dollar company. I think you just gave a great example for why crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding specifically, is such a great option for small businesses who are raising money. Because you can use your crowdfunding campaign as a customer acquisition campaign. So that means that, you know, indeed, you will be selling your business, but you're also raising money. So your customers can become your investors and vice versa. Your investors could potentially become your investor. Uh, your investors could potentially become your customers. So I think um, that was a great example of how why crowdfunding is very beneficial. So a lot of breweries, um, beer breweries, especially in this area, have done that, right? They've gotten their customers who really like whatever beer they're, they, they, they're making and they've become investors. And so now what they do is, in addition to buying the beer, when they go out to a bar, if their bar doesn't if their local bar doesn't have the beer that um, they've invested in that they like, they ask for it and you ask for it enough times. And so they pick it up. And so now the business is growing because people are more buying more beer, ordering more beer. And you have these investors who are kind of, you know, your evangelists or championing for you because they like your product. So I think there, there can be that, but I, you, I, part of the issue is finding that that community, the the company has to find that right. way to get to the to the to the crowd. Got it. Well, Marie, we appreciate you joining us today. The website crowdyadvisors.com. And you guys can check out the the book, the guide uh, called Raising Money on the website. And we recommend it because we think that both Marine and Samson, they got some cool stuff going on. Well, thank you. Thanks, Maureen. Great interview. Always pleasure to have people who are so brilliant in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia. So blessed, Mr. Travis Wright. We get to interview and speak with so many incredibly astute people. And what this world needs is more astutes. Very true. I, I, I got to say, it is it is amazing. And we got some, some action-packed interviews coming up over the next few episodes. And you guys are going to love that. We have been content beasts doing great interviews with amazing people, amazing authors, amazing thought leaders, amazing innovators and entrepreneurs, and just old school you know, people who've done epic things. And so it's only, you know, it's only getting better and we're having fun doing this. So thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate you. It's really cool when we go to events and, you know, people will, will say, hey, you know, came here to this event because you were going to be here and wanted to meet us. And like that's happened several times recently. And that's just so awesome and humbling. We love you guys. And uh, if you ever run up, you ever if you ever see me, 
uh, or Joel, come up and say, hey, what's up? Because I normally got a pocket full of stickers or something. I'll give you something cool, bad crypto, because I want to reward the cool people who are the fans. And we meet in the real life. That's always fun. What's especially fun about that is that when people encounter us together and we're having a conversation with them, sometimes they'll be like, God, it feels like I'm listening to the podcast, right? Because well, it's we, the we, same we've voices. Been, we've, been in, we've been in places where Joel and I have been having a conversation and somebody would turn around going, I know your voices, <laughs> which is weird. Like yeah, that's happened a few times too. Like that's, I know that voice and uh, that's cool. So thank you guys. I've seen those faces. Weren't you guys on the post office on a wanted poster? I was on the milk. I was on the milk jug. Cause you were lost. No, because I was thirsty. <laughs> they don't put people on the milk jug cause they're thirsty. Give this guy milk. He is thirsty. <laughs> put yeah. children it was advertising i was like this guy needs milk you were the cow on preferably the, the chocolate or strawberry flavored milk maybe some hey, just quick we're uh working uh we're working we're not working we now are he likes almond milk though he's not a fan of dairy and casein proteins can i talk now go ahead we're you have, all you have, over you have milk socials i got no milk oh. <laughs> got no milk uh, but what I do have is we've got a killer Instagram account. So come on over to Instagram and follow us. We're at Bad Crypto Podcast. Our producer and social queen, Aaron, is always posting great content. Occasionally, we'll post stuff ourselves as well. Like, we'll do stories, especially if we're at an event or something. You know, we'll do Instagram stories to share with you the people that we're meeting and the things that we're doing. And uh, that's always lots of fun as well. So come check us out there on Insta. Mr. Travis Wright, any last words before we close out this episode? Yeah, sometimes I like to put funny memes that I find in the story. So, like, uh, I just randomly put a, it's a uh, Bitcoin is dancing kind of naked. Oh, yeah. And Tether is making it rain with dollar bills. It's pretty exciting. Nice. It's pretty good. That's story worthy. Kind of, sort of. So, there Boom. you go. That's, that's what uh, you're missing. Real time content there. creation. You stay around to the end of the podcast and you hear things that uh, there's no reason for you to hear. And sometimes. Jibba jabba. If you listen through the disclaimer, uh, some of you have picked up on this, that you might occasionally encounter an Easter egg, something that was not put into the regular show. Why are they called Easter eggs? It's because it's something you find. It's like you discover something you didn't know was going to be there. Yeah, but what does Jesus have to do with eggs? Nothing. Okay. Only that he's excellent. (laughs) that's good very nice good all right gang catch you next time stay bad the bad crypto podcast is a production of bad crypto llc the content of the show the videos and the website is provided for educational informational and entertainment purposes only it's not intended to be and does not constitute financial investment or trading advice of any kind you shouldn't make any decisions as to finances investing trading or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor please understand that the trading of bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Hey, why are you guys still listening? There's there's no Easter egg here. Why, why do they call it Easter eggs?
because it's a surprise. East bunnies don't lay eggs. So they weird. don't. Yeah, why don't they call them chicken eggs? Yeah, what the hell? Bunnies bunnies lay like little brown turds. <laughs> and it's not chocolate. I think you just laid a little brown turd. Thank you, Easter Bunny. Oh, the Easter Bunny left me chocolate, Mom. Don't eat that. <laughs> Too late. I've already had seven. <laughs> <laughs> they are not nearly as delicious as I was hoping. And that's what an Easter egg sounds like. Who's bad?